You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea with Ann Johnson, where we talk with some of the biggest security influencers in the industry about what is shaping the cyber landscape and what should be top of mind for the C-suite and other key security decision makers. I'm Ann Johnson, and today we're talking about a topic that is deeply important to me. It's incredibly important on a personal level. How do we increase diversity and inclusion in the cybersecurity profession? Women comprise only a quarter of the cybersecurity workforce, and the numbers are lower still for women of color. But a new generation of female InfoSec leaders is working to lift up others as they climb. And today we are talking to one of those dynamic influencers, Mary Galloway. Mary is a certified ethical hacker who joins us from Las Vegas, where her day job is working to secure the gaming industry as a senior security architect. She is absolutely an expert on network design and security architecture, risk assessments, vulnerability management, and incident response. She is also sought after as a speaker and policy advisor, helping to advance diversity and inclusion in our field. Mary is the co-founder and CEO of Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu, a nonprofit community dedicated to bringing more women and girls to cybersecurity and to helping them advance. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Anne. I'm excited to be here um, chatting with you today all things cyber. And as we've said many times on the show, you know, companies of all sizes across industries, they they all need to secure their systems. They all need to secure their operations to protect their customers. And of course, to protect their organization. And that, you know, includes your work, casinos. So what is it like to work for InfoSec in a casino and what's at stake for these companies? And are there any defensive strategies that are incredibly unique when you think about the work you do versus your industry peers? Um, so coming from the government, um, into the private sector, into casinos, it's definitely been a different experience. Um, with the government, it's national security is what we're trying to protect. You know, we want to protect the secrets and we want to protect high ranking individuals of that nature. Um, in the casino industry though, our, our biggest concern is availability. Um, because if elevators go down, or if tables go down or if cameras in the casino go down, we have to shut the casino down, right? And that affects the, the revenue, the bottom line. And so we're constantly monitoring and making sure that all of our systems are secure, up-to-date, um, emerging technology, because I get to see a whole gamut of technology from industrial controls to understanding and learning about gaming, understanding what vulnerabilities look like in the gaming environment. I'm exposed to tons and tons of technology um, vendors throughout. And then as my, in my job, I'm also exposed to a lot of different uh, vendors because we have to bring those vendors in to help improve the security of our casinos as an architect. Yeah. So, um, you know, I would have thought that casinos, because you obviously have really good physical security and you're always looking for people, you know, no pun intended to be gaming the system. <laughs> so do you take those, maybe those principles, not necessarily the technology, but you take those principles into what you do for cybersecurity too? Yeah, pretty much. We're always trying to find the next best thing to help us not get gamed, I guess. Um, Ocean's 11. That's just a movie. It's fiction. That doesn't really happen. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's way too much going on um, inside of the casinos here in Las Vegas, especially to where you're definitely not going to be counting cards or 
you know, plugging stuff into slot machines or tables and pulling information. Um, and all of the casinos across the strip, and I'm going to say probably across the country, have really good um, tools and applications to prevent those kinds of things. That's fantastic. I I would think that it makes your work, um, you said, you know, government to casino, obviously a huge difference, but do you find the work to be any more interesting or, you know, I, I actually think cybersecurity is fun. Yes, it's challenging and we're dealing with some significant threats, but there's fun in solving hard problems. So do you find it to be fun? Yes. It's really interesting to be on the edge of what it is we're trying to do and what we're trying to secure, right? And we're trying to stop the bad guys from not just here in America, but from also around the world from getting into the systems here in Las Vegas. And so it really makes it interesting when you see this kind of traffic coming across. We have the same kind of threats, I think, that um, the government has. They just come at us in different ways, right? You know, through phishing, through social engineering, those types of things. And so it makes it very interesting to see what people are trying to do to gain access to, um, you know, player data, uh, intellectual property that the casinos may have, those types of things. And then trying to put, you know, controls in place to prevent that from happening. It's really a cool dynamic and you have to work with all the different uh, business units in the casino. So it's not just cyber by itself. It's like you have to work with, you know, HR and you have to work with, um, business data analytics and yeah it sounds like it's incredibly collaborative and you know speaking of collaboration and inclusiveness and diversity and all of that in my mind always goes hand in hand I talk a lot about how our teams need to be as diverse as the problems we're trying to solve because you don't want to get into groupthink, right you want to hire people with a lot of different backgrounds so they can look at problems differently and bring different perspectives and that working across a lot of departments, I would imagine, gives you that kind of inclusiveness and, and that problem solving from a lot of different areas. Yeah, it definitely does. And it, it helps you see the problem from someone else's perspective, right? We always think in technical terms of cybersecurity as, as IT folks, but looking at it from, okay, well, how does what we're trying to do affect, you know, the front desk at the hotel, and bringing those voices in, it helps us build a better product and build better security capabilities for um, the entire casino as a whole. So let's talk about um, diversity, inclusion, cyber. Um, you know, the, the numbers tend to be a little all over, but 17% of cybersecurity workforces identify as minority or female. But do you have reasons to be optimistic and when you think about things like pay and when you think about um, gender discrimination, you think about just how it's been a very male-dominated business. I mean, I've been in security since the year 2000, right? And I'm optimistic, but do, do you have reasons to be optimistic based on the work you've been doing? I do. I, I think we have a long way to go, but I, I do think that we're moving in the right direction. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of women, there's a lot of minorities out there that people don't even realize are doing this work and doing it really well, right? Because they're not, they're not super vocal on social media or they're not considered an influencer. And so they get overlooked. Like for me and my, where I work at now, there's two, two um, African-American women there. And so at first it was just me. And then I was like, oh, we, we have more people. The difficult part about Vegas is it's hard to get folks to come to Vegas, 
So you have to find folks here locally. So I think that's going to be a challenge is finding the people locally, unless you're willing to pay somebody, you know, $140,000 to move across country. Um, but through, through WSC, the, our demographic, it's, it's pretty mixed up. You know, we've got like, we've got Caucasian women, we've got African-American women, we've got Hispanic women, we've got Asian women that really want to do this work and they are really, really talented. And so the numbers are definitely, I believe, are going to go up. I think the employers need to look outside of where they normally look for people and start pulling people from different, different backgrounds in different areas. You know, stop going to the Harvards and go to the community college, right? Stop going to, you know, well-known organizations and events and start looking at the more local events and saying, okay, where are these people at and how can we pull them in? You know, I think it's a societal problem too. And I'm going to give you two examples of my own, right? I think people tend to live in a bubble. Um, And two things happened to me in say the past 10 years that um, really made me get out of that bubble more so than I've been. You know, being a woman in tech for 30 years, I had a lot of perspective on that. Of, of just being a woman in tech, but I didn't have a perspective of, you know, people of color in tech, right? I just don't have personal experience. And my daughter, who's in college now, when she was in um, junior high, came home and she was, we were living in New Jersey at the time, and she was in a Catholic um, junior high. And she came home and she was so, she, she said to me and with, with a level of excitement, she's like, oh my gosh, we, we got our first black girl in class. And I just looked at her. I'm like, you got your what? Your first? <laughs> And I started dedicating myself not just to trying to lift women, but to lift people of color and, you know, <laughs> the profession. Um, I was talking to a woman who, who I respect tremendously at Microsoft, and she was just telling me this story about how she and her husband have raised their sons um, to always be much more hypervigilant than necessarily you would raise, raise your white child to be about how they interact in society yep. and their own personal safety. Yep. And it just, it all kind of landed on me in this way of, because we're not creating a safe space for people at all to be themselves um, in an industry that we need to be creating a safe space. And we're not understanding uniqueness of perspectives and we're not going to like the HBCUs or to the community yes. colleges, or we're not going to these places to recruit. And that we've really been on a mission here at Microsoft to do that. We have a long way to go, by the way. Um, but we've been on a mission to just say, look, we need to, we ought not only you know, if everyone is from MIT and has a STEM degree in the same background, we're never going to get, you know, diversity of thought. So that's, it's definitely, so when your daughter came home and said that it's not surprising, um, it's a part of who we are, right? People, if you don't experience those things and you just don't know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't go in and say, I know what it's like to be a disabled woman because I'm not disabled. You know what I'm saying? And so we see this all the time. It's like I go in and, and now as I've gotten older and more into my career, whenever I go into any spaces, I always survey to see, okay, who's here? Do we have any minorities and where are they? Um, me and a lady almost, we had a, we had a little tiff on Twitter because she was, she was upset that her group was excluded from a panel because she asked for more diversity. And so I went and I looked and I said, well, were there any minorities ever on the panel? And she got really defensive with me because I asked her that question. And I, I, and I just said, well, diversity isn't just white women. It's all types of women, disabled women, um, Asian, black, white, whatever. And, and she got really defensive with me because I asked her that question. 
And so we have to change the mindset. We have to help people change their mindsets and look at things differently to get further along. I think so. And I think most people want to do the right thing, right? I think they don't know. Like me, they were just oblivious. I'll, I'll be honest. I was just, I thought that everybody was rising at the same time, right? And I was oblivious. And once I became aware, I became active. But I think we have to help people with that awareness, right? right. And, it, and it's tough. And I want to go, you have a, a wide, impressive number of certifications. And I want to reflect on um, a panel I was on very recently with a, with a woman of color who also had um, a wide variety of um, both educational and industry certifications. And I asked her why. And she said, because it just removes that objection. How do you feel about certifications in general as far as the industry and not just learning for the sake of yourself to better grow, but how do you think about marketability and how that changes the industry for you? Um, certifications, mixed bag of, of emotions about them. Um, I got them early on in my career. I like them. I think they help you set a baseline. Um, a lot of folks don't really care for them and that's fine. But as, as a minority, you have to have, you can't just come in and say, I'm an expert in this because they don't believe you. They look at you like, well, you don't have anything to show that you're an expert. So you get the degrees, you get the certifications. Um, I think a lot of degrees are definitely worth having. Uh, I prefer the more hands-on ones um, only because they, it's kind of, it's more practical knowledge versus, you know, answer these questions, A, B, C, or D, you know, spend five hours doing this and then good boom. Um, I don't knock anybody's certification because I've got a whole range of them from, um, I have a Microsoft one from 2007 for office <laughs> all the way up to all of my SANS ones. Right. Um, for me, I did it cause I liked the challenge and because somebody else was paying for me to go and take those certifications. A lot of people will tell you, Oh, you don't need a certification. Oh, I didn't need that certification to get my job, but it's a little bit different for women. And so it's, they're useful, but you also need to have practical knowledge behind it. And even if you can't get that practical knowledge on the job, doing um, hands-on stuff at home, building your lab, taking workshops, going to trainings, you know, hosting your own virtual workshops, competitions, those types of things coupled with those certifications makes you golden. That, that makes sense. And I want to, as I ask the next question, I am going to give a little nod to, to Microsoft because, you know, we, we have this charter of empowering, you know, every individual and every corporation on the planet to achieve more. And we use that as a big umbrella. And I understand and recognize what a platform I have to go do some of the things I do, which is leading me to a conversation with about Wicked Six Cyber Games that was in Vegas last year. You know, we were a sponsor of the inaugural event. And the, the platform and the ability I have to do those things is something that maybe other companies could, could work for, right? And I see other companies sponsoring a lot of events. But I just I want to encourage corporations to use their leverage and use their brand and use their power to do those things. But is you know, that event to me was one of the, I, I was talking to folks because, you know, was that Black Hat? And I'll let you talk about it a little bit since you actually worked very hard to put it together and sponsor it. But um, that event was probably the funnest thing I did at Black Hat because yeah. it was working with college students and it was working with what I see as the future cyber defenders. And we had the all-female team and every team, as you know, we required them to have, you know, a diverse member of the team. And even the governor came and spoke. So it was such a high impact, powerful, and just a fun experience. So can you talk a little about how you ended up, you know, how did we get there? You know, we came in and I was, you know, came into the planning 
oh, probably you're already six months into it, you know, but how did you decide to do that? And what was the impact? So, so Jessica Gulick, our WSC VP, she's, she's got kids and they're like into this esports gaming thing. And she said, Hey, we should do an esports cyber event. And I was like, okay, sure. Let's do it. I'm not into gaming like that. My husband is. I'm into the traditional CTF type of stuff. When she brought that idea to me, I said, you know what? This is a really good idea, right? Because it, it allows people that may not have experience in cybersecurity get a, to get a little bit of a taste of what that looks like, right? So basically, Wicked Six is cybersecurity meets esports for a cause. And it's the college teams participate in 45-minute missions, and it shows what they're doing on this big, huge screen at the HyperX arena. Um, and so you're like actually seeing exactly how they're defending a network or defending, you know, against a botnet or defending against, you know, social engineering attacks, those types of things. And so it was really cool because we turned the traditional competition, cyber competitions into a spectator sport, right? So if you're familiar with, you know, Fortnite and, um, some of those other games, people just sit and watch this all day. And then you have the shoutcasters in there, you know, giving you the play by play on what exactly they're doing and explaining to those folks that may not know what's going on, what's going on. And the cool part about it was the stuff that they were doing that we were watching is actually stuff you would do on a regular job. So it wasn't just about gaming. It was about these students have the ability to do these types of tasks, which are needed in the industry right now. Um, my favorite team was the all girls team. And I was, I was just like, Oh my gosh, they got to win, but they did really well. They were top three. And, um, that team got pulled together kind of at the last minute. Uh, the, the coach for this, that school, they have a whole team of like 90 students, I think. And he pulled those women together last minute and it paid off for them, I think, but it was a really cool experience. Um, 2020 is going to be even bigger and better. Um, but it's a great recruiting tool also. And so you get to see what people are doing and what they're gaining and what skills they have. And you can give them a job right away at that point. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about WSC and your mission a bit. But I do want to touch on probably one of the hardest topics, which is compensation, right? We know from the studies we've seen that a person of color um, within U.S. cybersecurity earns less than, for, you know, a Caucasian female even. So, you know, as you serve at the volunteer, as your volunteer CEO role, and thank you, by the way, for the Women's Society, um, and you create opportunities for women in cybersecurity, how do you help them? Because I think a lot of this is about them actually demanding what they're worth. There's, there's a bit of that in there, not assuming they're going to get it, but actually, you know, standing up for themselves and demanding what they're worth. But how do you help them find the right companies and how do you help them have the right conversations and, and quickly determine that someplace might not be the right place too, um, to address both the work environment and any pay, and any pay disparity? One thing that we do do monthly is career conversations. And so we'll have women in the industry um, from all backgrounds come in and talk about what they do, how they got there and provide tips and tricks on how to get there. Um, I always tell women that come to me and say, Hey, I need help or I need to negotiate my salary to, and I wrote an article about this a couple of years ago on LinkedIn um, to write out what it is your skills are. um, And then Go and research what somebody like that would make. The problem is we're quick to take the very first offer instead of negotiating 
for what we deserve, right? Um, everybody's not going to share their salary and that's fine, but understanding what your skill sets are, understanding what your range of what you're willing to accept is, um, is very important. And so you have to go into an interview and negotiations prepared with that information. And so we try to make sure we tell them that, um, constantly we do have, um, some webinars coming up to talk about negotiating salary and how to select the place to work. And we'll probably go a little bit further this year with actually having negotiation conversations so that people can come in and say, Hey, I should be making X, Y, Z. And, you know, and being able to say, no, I won't take that. A lot of us are afraid to say no. It's just like, Oh, well, I'll just take it because, you know, I don't have a choice, but being, being able to say no, I'm worth more is really important as well. That's, that's fantastic. So as we wrap here, before we finally close, talk a little bit about um, Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu. Talk a little bit about how people can help support you um, and the mission and what you need today. Um, so we are a 501c3 uh, national nonprofit. We were founded in 2012 by Lisa Jiggets. She, she was looking for um, a place where she could grow and learn. And she figured, you know, hey, there's other women around here that want to do the same thing. Um, and it just kind of blossomed from that first workshop with Backtrack um, through study groups. Um, we've got a couple going on right now, CISSP and OSCP to the hands-on workshops. That's our bread and butter. We want to make sure that when people come to us, they get hands-on keyboard experience and it directly translates to what they're going to do on their job. And they can say, hey, I know how to do X, Y, Z. We do a lot of networking events. So we'll go to conferences together and do what we call LobbyCon. So even if you don't have a a ticket to the conference, you can still come get the conference vibe, meet up with other folks that are at the conference, maybe even make connections, you know, for new jobs, et cetera. Um, and we, we build a community for women, girls, men, allies to come in and just help and support each other. Um, we're always looking for sponsors for Wicked Six, obviously, for our local chapters. We've got chapters in six cities right now. We've got a few more coming up. So Atlanta, Las Vegas, SoCal, East Carolina, Jacksonville, and the DMV area. Um, so if you want to volunteer with one of the chapters, if you want to teach a workshop, um, you can come teach. If you want to help with the Girls Academy that's going on right now in the D.C. and North Carolina areas. So you can go to our website, womenscyberjitsujutsu.org and find out more about what it is that we do and make your donations. And, and we want to have you on a career conversation. So <laughs> I am, <laughs> I'm happy to do that. Um, we will make that happen. So Mary, as we think about um, practical advice for you know, the listeners, I always try to give some practical advice. What are the one to two things you think folks can do within their organizations to actually um, assist with diversity and inclusion and to, to lift people up and help with that path um, and be exceptional allies? Um, so I think one thing is if you have minorities, women, African-Americans, whomever in your organization, give them a seat at the table and then actually listen to their thoughts and their ideas. Um, it's one thing to bring them in, but it's another thing. You take it a step further when you actually listen to what they have to say and take those ideas and implement them. Uh, something else is to, you know, support them for promotional roles. If you know that they're doing an excellent job um, on whatever it is, they're going above and beyond, put them in for awards and give them recognition for doing an excellent job. 
uh, don't give it, them an award because they're a woman or because they're this or that, but because they've done what they were supposed to. I know some organizations do um, like women, women groups or social groups or something like that, uh, or African-American groups where they can all come together. Um, I think those are great to have if you don't have one. Um, it kind of gives people a place to feel comfortable and discuss any kind of hardships that they may be having. And then you can take that information back and make changes inside of your organization. Um, and I think the biggest one is just be open to diverse thoughts. I mean, it's not difficult to, <laughs> to not be, you know, a bad word when it comes to those things. So just be open to having that conversation. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, um, but to make progress, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. You do have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I'm going to ask the last uh, question, <laughs> maybe the last uncomfortable question, which is what's it going to take for the industry? What is the tipping point where we're no longer having to have lots of conversations and forcing to make sure there's a diverse person on panels and making sure that people are advocating and allying? What do you think it's going to take for the cybersecurity industry to say, hey, this is just baked in what we do every day? A behavior change, a mindset change. I mean, that's really, that's going to be the biggest thing is changing people's mindsets. And that's the hard part because if you've been in, if you've been in the industry for 40 years, it's really, really difficult for you to see change and be different. Um, and so it's, it definitely will take the newer generation coming in to continue to have those conversations so that those folks coming in behind them don't have to have those conversations anymore. We can't let my generation off the hook either, right? We, right. So, we have to stay at the forefront of this too, so that we're raising people up and then it's incremental. And then one day I hope, right? Lifetime, we don't have to talk about it every day, but we have to until then. People have to change the mindset, right? When you start to see, when you start seeing companies revenues going up and their profits going up and you start to look at their, their boards, right? And you see, oh, they have a really diverse board. I wonder if there's a correlation there. I think that plays a role in getting others to change their mindset. This has been such a tremendous opportunity. I appreciate you making the time to do this. It's such an important conversation. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I had fun. So I selected Mary because I had the opportunity to work with her on the Wicked Six Games, which was an event, a gaming event we did for students um, during Black Hat last year. And it was a fascinating experience. And then her work as the volunteer CEO of the Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu, where she really is focused on raising up women. She does so much for the industry in a very constructive and positive way. I knew she would be just awesome to have on the podcast. You know, as listening to this episode, I think there's a couple of things that landed with me. One is we just have to keep working. This isn't a problem we're going to solve overnight, and everyone needs to keep working, whether it's, you know, the younger generation coming into the workforce, whether it's my generation, whether it's an ally. Diversity and inclusion is a problem that we can solve, but everyone needs to be focused on it. And until we're focused on it, we all just need to keep moving forward. That would be the first thing. The second thing would be, I think it'd be pretty cool to work in a casino. Mary works uh, securing a casino now, and I, I just found that really cool. Thank you to our audience for joining Afternoon Cyber Tea. Look forward to seeing you next time. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast. 
Join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher, Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.